reading from the 23rd chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the 32nd verse. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The kingdom of God. The words that get thrown around pretty easily. In America, we don't know much about kingdoms. We don't know what it looks like to really live under one person who can tell us everything we're supposed to do. But sometimes I'll admit that it looks like we're wanting a president to be a little more of a king than we should. But other than that, it seems that we don't really understand what a king is. And when we hear words like the reign of Christ, we might wonder, what, what limit is there? What, what part of our life can we tell Jesus, no, 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 you're not welcome here. When we hear terms like Christ the King Sunday, we might wonder, why didn't we celebrate Christ the King every Sunday in our own heart? How is it that we could recognize him as king. Jesus came into Jerusalem on a Sunday riding on a donkey because a prophet said that the king would come on a donkey. And Jesus was received by people who shouted, Hosanna, save us, save us, they yelled. And just a few short days later, he was delivered up to be tried. He was condemned, he was led up a hill in shame. Stripped of his clothing, mocked, and then nailed to a tree. I've heard stories of kings. I remember hearing about King Arthur and Camelot. I remember about the emperor who had no clothes. I remember seeing stories on TV and cartoons with the king in his purple robe and the white fur thing with the little black specks in it and the big red beard. 
I remember what kings are supposed to look like from all the stories I heard as a child and as a youth and the stories I heard in high school. I remember seeing pictures of Henry VIII and King Leo. I remember seeing all these pictures of all these people that were revered for who they were and none of them looked like a man nailed to a tree. None of them looked like the king we come to celebrate. I wonder, how did the thief get it right? What tipped him off as to who Jesus really was? It seems like all of Jerusalem had decided that he was a usurper, that he was somebody come just to throw Rome away. He was a danger, he was a menace, and so he was put to death. He had the gall to tell people to love each other. That still makes some of his followers angry. And so he was nailed to a tree and raised up in shame and scorn. And I wonder how in the world, how in the world did the thief recognize him for a king? 1998 or 99, I can't remember exactly when it was, they decided to close the CCI building in Columbia. CCI was our oldest state penitentiary. It's where our hardened criminals were taken. It's where Pee Wee Gaskin was taken. And if you know about Pee Wee Gaskin, I don't have to tell you what he did. If you don't, maybe you should learn. A horrible human being. By all accounts, I saw the cell Pee Wee Gaskin lived in when he murdered another person on death row. I saw the cell where they held him and it made me feel chilled. And then down the hall, they took us to a place where the electric chair lived that had a nickname which I found horrible. It wasn't there anymore because it's been moved, but it was, that room still felt like a horrible place, like I had walked into the middle of something I should never have seen. But I didn't quite have the enormity of it until they took us to another room and the tour guide said, this is the cooling table, and asked us all if we wanted to touch it. And I thought, cooling table? Cooling table. Where they would take the body of the executed person and lay them so that they could be cooled and then cared for. And I was startled. Number one, at the brutality of it. It's where my view of capital punishment changed, if you ever want to know. I was startled by it. And when I hear about Jesus being put on the tree in a way that was just as brutal. And I hear about this thief and who looked at him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All I could think about is if I had been sitting there in that room looking at a man sitting in the electric chair and said to him, remember me when you're president. It doesn't make sense. Something must have tipped the thief off. Something caught his attention, changed his heart about Jesus. Something caused him to be able to see Jesus in the way that Luke says Jesus saw himself 
One day he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He was talking about himself. What tipped, what tipped the thief off that Jesus was talking about himself? That he was the kingdom. Later on, Peter, after he had come back to Christ, you know, he denied him three times. And said, no, he's not my Lord. I want my own life, a life of safety away from him. But later, when Peter was preaching to a great crowd, he said these words, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is struck by the enormity that one who was put to death is now king. And the thief on the cross recognized it. How? How did he see it? And how might we see it today? How could we come to that same place as the angel in Revelation 11? The seventh angel, the one everybody's afraid of, who breaks the last seal, who says, the angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. The angels in all of heaven saw it. But Luke and Peter... And the angels in all of heaven see a risen Christ. When Luke penned these words, he knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead. When Peter stood in front of thousands and said, This one whom you crucified, God has made King and Christ. Peter knew he was raised from the dead. And likewise, all of heaven knew that Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, had been raised and given the throne of God. How did the thief know? And we, who are limited by our sight, how can we know? I think for the thief, the turning point came when he saw a man who had been beaten beyond recognition, who was bleeding profusely from his wounds, who was made fun of, who was mocked, who was laughed at while he was being executed. When the thief saw that man say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. He knew then that he was in the presence of God's Messiah. Unfortunately, I can't answer where that turning point is for you. But I can tell you that I'm living in one of them today. And if you'll say, that's fine, preacher, I'd like to share a personal story. Is that fine, preacher? Say yes. If no, we'll quit now. John, raise your hand for me. That's my childhood best friend, John Honeycutt. We was tight one with John. I still love you, brother. Man, we jumped some stupid stuff on bicycles. <laughs> Slept in Mr. Earl's driveway. 
in sleeping bags. <laughs> in sleeping bags. John was formative for me in my early years. Sometimes I tell a funny story, and it's really kind of funny, but, uh, you know, sometimes I wish, you know, John was my friend that I could tell everybody, hey, my best friend's an Indian. <laughs> and sometimes I wish we'd let you win, man, you know? <laughs> We made up our own games, one called Granny. We ran around with volleyballs and threw them at each other. It hurt, but it was fun. Didi took care of us, yelled at us. Probably still does. I love your family. Grew up in their house. 17 years old, I was called into ministry and refused to go. Refused it. In some ways, it was because I was scared because I had seen how my church had treated its pastors. But in other ways, it was because it's not what I wanted. I wanted to be king of my own life. I wanted my way, my rules for my life. I wanted to be an architect. And I had this deep sense that right now the Lord is saying, Joke's on you, Dave. Because I've come full circle to baptize my childhood best friend's grandson. If you had told me when I was 25 years old I would do this or even baptize Olivia Reed today, that God would use me this way, I would have told you that I was unworthy of being used this way. That there's no way that God could use me now because I had turned my back on God. I said, I'll still believe in you because that gets me into heaven, right, church? <laughs> I still have faith, but I won't live for you. I just got to tell you, folks, that's not real faith. Any faith that allows us to deny Christ as Lord is not faith at all. Any faith that allows us to go on living any way we choose is no faith at all. It's a lie. And I know that personally. And so today when I walk down with this jug of water, it only happens because my Lord has whispered to His Father, Father, forgive David. He didn't know what he was doing. And you will see the kingdom expand in my heart. And you will see the kingdom expand in the life of Carter Dallas and Olivia Reed. And if you want my opinion of how I know Christ is Lord, it's because He allowed me to stand here today. Knowing what I am and who I've been. He continued to call me. He continued to say, you are mine. I don't know what you might be struggling against, church. I don't know what ways you've turned your back on the Lord. I don't know what places you won't allow Him to have leadership or have kingship in your life. But I know that there was a thief who saw him forgive others who were killing him and knew beyond doubt that he was king. 
And I know that there's a pastor standing here now feeling contrite and humble who knows that he's king. Because his goodness overwhelms me today. And I know that there are two little ones being brought whose parents know that Christ is king. And I know that there are two who come to join this congregation who desire to serve Christ as king with you. We have before us today great evidence that Christ is Lord. During the baptismal liturgy, you will have a chance to affirm that for yourself. As the parents and as Jeff and Eve stand and are asked our baptismal reaffirmation and renunciation of sin questions, I would encourage you to answer those questions with them and reaffirm your faith right where you are. Reaffirm your commitment that Christ is Lord because I'll tell you this church, today I reaffirm my commitment to that. Because when I take these steps, I'll remember. I will remember that Jesus has looked at me and said, Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. And for that, I am eternally grateful. For I am unworthy to stand here. But I am so thankful that Christ is King. And that I am not. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.